this week on Ace on the House. Let me say this. I've said it once. I've said it a million times. If you do not recognize a problem, thus there's no problem to fix, thus you never get any better. Like if you're just standing in front of your doctor and you're 500 pounds and you're eating a donut and there's a cigarette actually going through the hole of the donut that you're eating and you're washing that down with some malt liquor and your doctor's like, hey man, you got to start taking care of yourself. And you're like, I am. What are you talking about? (laughs) I'm fucking Jack LaLanne. Well, then guess who doesn't go on a diet? Guess who never quits smoking? And guess who never gets any better? The guy, the 500-pounder, who fucking says, I'm doing great. At a certain point, you have to fucking stand back, no matter what you do, and go, maybe I can do better than this. Check out an all-new episode of Ace on the House this Saturday, or visit aceonthehouse.com, only on the Ace Broadcasting Network. Broadcasting Network. Okay, welcome, podcasters, to the musical part of our show. Um, I thought I'd do something a little more. I've been doing um, material mostly in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, do something that melodies that might be more contemporary. The first one I'm going to do is I Left My Heart in San Francisco. I'm going to do it with a little beat to it. And the um, second one is uh, a regular jazz song, um, if I remember what it is. You're Nobody. It's, a, like a, it's an old saloon song. I used to play the saloons and the bars. You're Nobody Until Somebody Loves You. But first, um, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. One, two, one, two, three. Welcome to Life Lessons with Jim Carolla and Ray Oldhofer.
Okay, so welcome, podcasters. <clears throat> As we go in, continue on our journey, uh, we enter the age of sages, and we talked a little bit about that. Um, that way back, the end of the Bronze Era. Anyway, a very special time. So we're trying to pick it up there, eventually leading to um, uh, some of the later sages. But the very first ones were extremely important. Um, they introduced an evolutionary mutation um, into humanity. Humanity prior than that uh, didn't really have this mutation that's just beginning. They introduced the value of inner work, utilizing contemplation, Stopping, being able to stop, business as usual, meditation, for getting more quiet and going deeper inside, the importance of intention instead of things just being automatic, you begin to intend. And a very special kind of an, an attention, which we haven't gotten into yet, this takes a special attention to really... Um, stay with this material. And they use prayer. That's another thing they use. And the most important of all um, of, is love. Love as a way of life. Now, enter the world where there wasn't a lot of love. I mean, there was romantic love and sexual lust and so on. Um, but not a real feeling for the compassion for the other person. And that um, this to be an orientation in life which will support even the survival of life. I mean, all this killing and all this raiding and um, this was, so this had a political part of it, which is that we won't even survive if we continue killing each other. So very important, the orientation of life is this love. And it's not just a union love when we get down to Christ. It's a, it's like a divine love, a love that comes from another level. But let's hold on to that for a minute. So the mutations, the sage people, the enlightened ones, um, shouted out to the rest of the world and showed the rest of the world our evolutionary potential. They showed a picture of what it could be like. One of the first pictures where love could be first and compassion could be there. So there'd be a model for understanding this new evolutionary potential. This mutation warming its way towards love. So it is with these, with the sages or spiritual masters that became to be called um, Jesus and Buddha and Lars Tolson was a um, Chinese uh, sage. Uh, wasn't His wasn't exactly the same. But the idea that unless we begin to really look at each other and realize we got to treat each other differently. And his, I think, was just more of a secular as um a famous one that I can't think of right now, Con Confucius. 
Confucius was also a secular um, sage. Some were secular and some uh, were divine or used the idea of a god. Confucius didn't. Lost Hulse didn't either. And then also part of that is Black Elk. In other words, of the American Indians, they also had one later down the line. And, all, and any other enlightened being, they were exceptionally in the way they used their minds, their hearts, just as Beethoven used music and Shakespeare used language. So this is a special group on Earth now. They're cross-pollinating. They're, they're um, and commerce was big. The trading of commerce, and so they, they they began to meet each other and compared notes and so on. So it got off the ground. Clearly, this was a mutation in on the Earth right now. Now, the sages, the sages of each age began to think radically about the nature of conventional knowledge. Conventional knowledge is always what, what, this, what the culture thinks could work, um, the right thing to do, and so on. But they were, but they were pretty limited, like conventional knowledge. Um, but they were interested in more than just the conventional knowledge. Um, but what they had in common was a serious determination to tell truth from falsehood. I'm going to just kind of generalize for all of them now. Determination, serious determination, to tell the truth from falseness, falsehood, and to tell the real from the illusionary, the dream world. Now, there's also the Greek, Greek world was also buzzing around, starting to come alive, and they had their different kinds of gods. And, but Plato's allegory of the cave was a great invention. You know that one? I do. Humans live in darkness and pass the time watching shadows. Live in the live in the darkness, and pass the time away watching the shadows on the wall. So he gave us like a picture of like what. I mean, in other words, he, he saw the sleep, and called it uh, his this group just walking around the darkness. That's what others called sleep. Our um, our senses deceive us. Is what he was pointing out. We don't, you can't trust the senses. You must find a way out of the cave and into the light of day. And the other ones might say, uh, you have to find, you got to wake up and get into the, the light. You've got to wake up from the darkness and wake up your consciousness. That's like trial by fire? Yeah, and, and that's another part of it, of how to do that. So at the beginning, it's just words and ideas, but it's something to start off. So how can we penetrate the world of illusions? That would be a question they would ask. What do we do? And they gave their different answers to that. Now, one of them, just generalizing about all of them, 
But I'll name a few that, um, that they would have this in common. One would be our mental eyes is only a false reflection of a deeper self. They, they, didn't want, they weren't fooled by personality and ego. All of them weren't. And later on, as, as got, more people got aboard on this, more sages, they realized there were many eyes, not one. And one of those was George Gurdjieff um, from the Middle East. He was one of the first to psychologically begin to look at all the eyes. So those are false reflections of a deeper self. Second one they might all agree on, man has to see and feel that everything in him is automatic. It's been conditioned, it's learned, and conventional um, wisdom, conventionality, um, trained them in this conditioning. And they became automatic, automatic. They became like a machine. So it was going to be hard to break through this machine idea. What so you got fast that everything you do is is of uh, is automatic. Yeah, like yeah. every all your behavior, everything is just reactive or something that you've been born with. Yeah, something you can false self wise. Right, you've been conditioned to that. Isn't that it's all wrong? Is that what you need to begin? Well, to how see can you, you just need to see it? What do you mean? It's not it happens not to be all wrong. It sounds wrong. Well, meaning that people use it to live their life with. It's what it, conventional wisdom told them. That's how we could survive and have our life. But um, this new idea was going to take time, and we'd have to begin to see that. So number three would be that personality is itself a construction of nature's conditioning. It's like the animal just being conditioned, but only now we have a personality. We smile, we're witty, and um, personality being a constructive nature. And what these folks broke, brought was something that was above the senses and nature. And we'll try to get more into that as we go along. So it is a self of nature rather than an authentic, deeper self created by nature, the habits. Speaking of habits, we got to get into one. We got a habit of talking about Amazon and we like them and we appreciate them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And our PayPal people, did we get any? Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Yeah, we have been getting people who have been uh, who have been helping us on PayPal and they're uh, they're doing well. We appreciate it, and keep the uh, keep the donations coming. You can go to acejimcarolla.com to hear a little bit about to learn a little bit about PayPal and see where you can donate. And uh, let's just hear a quick word from our sponsor, Amazon. Hey, you guys, this is Ray with Life Lessons with Jim Carolla, and this is a plea because business is business, and our business isn't doing so well. So please help us out. You got that? And I'm not kidding. Help us out. So go to Life Lessons website and click through the Amazon banner and help us. Come on. Now that's a plea, and it's a good one. Do so. Thanks. Okay, so we'll continue. And while, while we're on that PayPal, Paul Wolf friend, um, Lisa, her name is, 
I think she sent a, a nice sum in. Uh, she heard the show, Lisa, and she liked it, and she um, and she uh, sent some money. Thank you, Lisa and Paul, for that. <clears throat> okay, so continuing on now. Now, eventually, through the work, he must be able to detach himself. Now, here's another one they all knew about. It can't be that same ordinary eye just continuing or its unending stream. So there's a detachment that is needed as the observer for the outer personality. So kind of this new idea was born about there's something in us that can um, detach or witness um, what's going on in the personality. And eventually that part could gain uh, some space in us, some quiet in us, and could help in seeing what's going on with the personality, what needs to might be changed. When, when did this all, all start taking place? Like thousands of years ago? I mean, they were, there was subtlety of it then, but with the psychological aspect of it, that must be rather new, right? Yeah, they, and they hit on psychological things, but they didn't particularly uh, know that word wasn't born yet. Uh, so this is within a hundred years, or even less. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, even even they, they, uh, they they hit on that much earlier. The last hundred years is what Western psychology brought to us, Freud and that group. But prior to that, uh, the saints from from uh, Christianity. Um, I'm trying to think of one in particular that was very psychological. Even St. Paul was. So that's not what they would call it. That wasn't their word. But right. they were getting into psychology. But later on, when Western psychology really got more developed, we, we took things from that. Okay. Um, so this interaction, number six now, the interaction of the observer now, and personality, now the observer is watching and the personality is acting, creates a powerful struggle. The personality is not uh, willing to um, give up a lot of what it has. Um, so a struggle begins. And that struggle we all need to go through and we all need some special help with that struggle. The renunciation of attachment is aided by a teacher, a school, a tradition, a community. We cannot do it alone. And they told us that too. You're not going to do this isolated by yourself. Um, okay, so... It's well, funny though, the... Um personality that it, <clears throat> it strives in isolation at a level you know depending on which which personality is up you know it's um for me anyway it it um 
says you can do it alone or you got to do it, whatever, you know, put your head down, get it done by yourself, you know, this is on you, that kind of thing. But it doesn't, um, I mean, it's funny when you look at it that the isolation just is just puts you further away from anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why it's called isolation, right? Yeah, we give, we just we just circle things in our minds and cycles go on and on. We have no outside input, and we need that. We need that from other people. We don't have a clear picture. Person, there are a lot of peat and repeat in personality. <laughs> yeah, we're identified with all those different eyes, and we're acting like that's that's the only thing there is. Well, it's the truth. Yeah, and these folks said, no, that's not all of it, and that's part of it, and that's part We need to look at that part of it um, and eventually see what's not working for us as far as moving on to a higher consciousness. Now, um, some impressions about Jesus, <clears throat> which we started last week. The historical Jesus was a spirit person. Now, not all, spirit, all sages are spirit persons. Particularly, the Chinese had a few, and they weren't particularly spirit. They were, they were. Theirs was more to do. This works. This is successful. This is helpful, and helping each other is good. But they didn't particularly bring a divinity into it. So Jesus was a different one. So the others were the Jewish prophets and so on. Abraham and that group. Those prophets were spirit persons. Uh, one of those figures in human history with, with an exceptional awareness of the reality of the higher or God or enlightenment. They really have that in mind. That's what they're working towards. Well, I'll say a little more about this as we go along. So Jesus was different in that he was a spirit person. Uh, he was not just a secular person. Jesus was a teacher of wisdom regularly used the classic forms of, of wisdom speech, parables, stories, short stories, aphorisms, to try to teach in those at that level, to teach a subversive and alternative wisdom that would be different than the conventional wisdom. <clears throat> so that's a wisdom teacher also. The third was Jesus was a social prophet, similar to the classic prophets of Israel. Um, but he criticized the elite. That's the part they didn't like about him. That was the part of the trouble that started. Remember, he was a Jew. So he criticized the elite, economics, politics. He said what was, what was not right with it in his time. He was an advocate for an alternative social vision. He would, he would um, dine with um, middle and lower class. Um, he would put, produce um, women's rights. He would, um, so he added something socially as well. What was his status? He was a poor carpenter. So he was poor. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, not destitute poor, but low class poor uh, carpenter. Um, so I mean, he had I knew to, the carpenter part. Just wanted, to, I mean, maybe he was like a Finnish carpenter and did really well. Yeah, I don't know. 
That part was never talked about. But he worked at his trade. Jesus was a movement founder, um, renewal, challenge. Um, that things needed to change from the old conventional, were locked into the old conventional life. And things had to begin to change. For example, when he was getting ahead in his teaching and starting to get a group, he entered Jerusalem not as a king, but at the head of a procession on a small donkey. So he was making a comment about the kingship of ideas that people were so elite and so above others. Well, he was going to talk about some of the stuff, but he came in low. He came in as a a wisdom teacher on a donkey and not with all all the pomp and circumstances of kings. And there was a radical social, political edge to his message, and that's when he started getting into real trouble. Because he would go into the temple and he would uh, say things that um, were against what they thought, and they got very suspicious, and that was the beginning of uh, him being chased out, um, attempting to be stoned, and eventually the crucifixion. <clears throat> so he, this is a super radical guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Very like a revolutionary. Yeah, for those days, yeah. He was also a remarkable healer. More healing. He did a lot of healing. He worked with people quite ill, and they couldn't walk and so on. And uh, and they, they witnessed that. They admit he was a healer. He was in his early 30s. He was young. And he, um, his work only lasted a year. And people would say, what manner of man is this that he can heal and he can... And that he's also willing to go through the crucifixion. And before we leave him now, um, he was a mediator. The, 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 Jesus' work on earth was only a year? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a short period of time. It all happened pretty quick before he was uh, eventually uh, court-martialed, sort of. And, and crucified. And crucified, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, another way to say what he, he was a spirit person. He was a mediator of sacred. He was the middleman. For of, the sacred? For the sacred. Um, and he could translate things and he could talk to people. So he was a spirit person that was in between trying to let the people see that there was something important um, at the next level of life. So he wasn't so much a holy man. Um, he was a, he walked with people. He was interested in the individual. He was every, every man's king. Yeah, he walked, yeah, and he would, he would, um, uh, he was accessible. Oh, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, he was accessible. And, and, he, and he traveled with the poor and the people who needed things. He felt sorry for them. Um, and the elite, he, he, uh, 
he kind of shunned a little bit. It was, it was a real aristocratic uh, in in the world of Judaism, in the purity system where they would would not associate with poor people. <clears throat> they were elite. They were higher. They were the aristocrats. Did any of the elite put it down and and join them? Uh, well, the apostles. Let's see. Was that any, who would be the closest one to that? Paul would be. He was a, a Pharisee, and he was educated. He might be the one he, one example of the elite, one of the first crossovers um, of the elite. So that would be Paul. But eventually, of course, all kinds came. But he started with the poor and people that really needed some hope, um, mostly in that area. So an extraordinary man had a wisdom, evidently was intelligent, spoke well, not educated, uh, had something very special, was a mediator for the higher, as the other, also the other uh, sages were as well, mediator for higher consciousness. So I see our time as uh, running out. Uh, Are you going to continue about Jesus next week? Well, I'm, well I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to experiment with that, see how far we want to go with him. Because others started to come up, too. There's Around a, the same time? Um, yeah. It was, uh, this, his movements was... Uh, uh, Were they, like, happening all over the world around the same time? Like, if you took a global view of the world and put um, whatever, you know, it would be like they would all be not, you know, of the same date or anything, but all within, you know, a couple of hundred years or so? Yeah, there was there were relative movements that were, had the same thing, but they weren't, exact, they weren't exactly the same. Remember, they were the secular. secular sages as well, mostly in the Chinese world. Um, but also Buddha was um, uh, in that period, 500 years prior. And probably Jesus... Uh, Maybe learn something from Buddha. I don't know his connection. There are people that say that he was in India for a while. And Buddha had a quite an uh, inroad into nations and um, into Tibet. Now That's a great movie, by the way. What? That's a, what the day Buddha met, the day Jesus met Buddha. Oh, is that what it's called? I'm, no, I just, oh. put it, I just put it out there. But oh. it would be. Yeah. So we're kind of in an intricate area, the area of the era of the sages, and then we'll maybe move to more contemporary sages in our next one. Okay, folks. Give us a couple of contemporaries. You just mentioned Gurdjieff, I know. Gandhi would be one. Give us a couple more. Yeah, Ramana Krishna, and one very um, important, Sri Aurobindo. In fact, I might do a whole thing on him. He was a Hindu. Um, modern times, I think he educated, went to England, um, so they're more modern, and he was a wonderful poet. What, Indian? Was, what was he? So, uh, or, or, you know, I'm not sure of his nationality. He might have been a Hindu, I think. But I'll, I'll know, of course, I, I have a couple of important books of his. I'll what year was that him. about? Well, no, he was really contemporary times, 18th, 19th century. Wow. Um, he didn't die that long. 
It was very extraordinary. His poet, poetry was astounding. Maybe we'll do a couple of his poems. That'd be great. Okay, so we're going to move on to the more contemporary um, people. And um, for you people, keep, keep remember, let us know. Um, contact us and let us know what's your input, whether you like this area that we're in, um, and see what your thoughts are. So, we'll see you next week. Bye. One, two, one, two, three. Reach the show on Twitter at LLWJC or email us at jimcarolla at adamcarolla.com.